Welcome to The Refresh from Insider. I'm Rebecca Ibarra. And I'm Kay Moynihan. It's Friday, September 23rd, and we're here with you updating the news all day, every weekday. Here's the latest. Referendums on whether to join Russia are underway in four Russian-controlled regions of Ukraine. President Volodymyr Zelensky called the vote a, quote, sham, and Ukraine's Western allies have vowed not to recognise the results. Voting will run for five days, and if successful, would allow Moscow to claim Ukraine is directly attacking Russia in its attempt to reclaim those regions. The referendum follows President Vladimir Putin's announcement of a partial military mobilisation, which means up to 300,000 people could be called up to serve in the war. Last night, the Supreme Court issued a 5-4 ruling, allowing Alabama to go ahead with an execution, which had been temporarily blocked by a lower court. The prisoner, Alan Eugene Miller, claims he requested death by nitrogen hypoxia, a method of suffocation never used in the US, rather than lethal injection. But the prison says it lost the records and his execution was on hold. After the Supreme Court intervened, the state tried to go ahead with the execution via injection, but gave up shortly before a midnight deadline because prison officials had trouble finding a suitable vein. A jury in a federal civil lawsuit says Project Veritas, a conservative group infamous for its misleading hidden camera video stings, has to pay $120,000 in damages to a political group that worked for Hillary Clinton's 2016 campaign. Project Veritas violated wiretapping laws and fraudulently misrepresented itself in an undercover operation that involved securing an internship at the firm, Democracy Partners. The firm says it lost $500 million in contracts after Veritas released highly edited videos making it appear that Democracy Now! planned on inciting violence at Trump rallies. Boeing will pay a $200 million settlement to its investors after an investigation by the Securities and Exchange Commission found it made misleading statements about its 737 MAX jets. Two planes crashed in late 2018 and early 2019, and 346 people died. The SEC found that Boeing and its former CEO, Dennis Mullenberg, knew there were safety issues with the flight control system after the first crash. They continued to reassure the public that the 737 MAX was, quote, as safe as any airplane that has ever flown the skies. Mullenberg has also agreed to pay out $1 million. How far would you go to support your football team? Would you get a tattoo of their logo or name your kid after the team? How about blow up a nuclear reactor? Wait, what? Yeah, on Wednesday, a 21-year-old student from the University of Utah was charged with making terrorist threats. The student used Yik Yak, a social media platform that lets users post anonymously, saying she'd detonate a nuclear reactor if the school's team lost to San Diego State. She said it was a joke, but Utah wound up winning 35-7. Just as well. Did you know you can share any of our segments on social media? Just look in the description section on your podcast app and you'll see a little share link next to each story. It's easy. Give it a try. Today and every day, we're updating the refresh from Insider as news happens. So check back whenever you want to know the latest. The market downturn is challenging for lots of businesses, but one sector is getting hit particularly hard, the cannabis industry. Small startups and the biggest companies are seeing sales slow down and investments dry up. Insider's Jeremy Burke writes about the legal cannabis industry. So, Jeremy, why is the cannabis industry feeling the economic downturn so hard? 
So the cannabis industry is in a tight spot because of the broader market for a couple of reasons. And I think number one, right, is that it is an emerging market and generally growth stocks and emerging stocks do suffer when the economy isn't good. People kind of put their money in safer places. Mm. Number two, cannabis is in this weird kind of framework where it's federally illegal, but it's legal in many states. And so what that means for these businesses is they can't really access the banking system like any other business. And then at the same time, number three, it's just inflation. People are spending less on discretionary things. Cannabis is one of those things. Yeah. So let's talk about consumers because sales in so-called vice industries like alcohol and cigarettes actually tend to go up during economic hard times, right? So why are weed sales going down? Yeah. So that was the thinking in the early days of the cannabis industry. And I say early days, like four or five years ago, when states were sort of just rolling out their regulated markets. But cannabis is a unique industry in that there is a thriving illicit market. And these illicit sales, you don't have to pay taxes. Generally speaking, illicit dealers aren't complying with regulation. So their cannabis is just a lot less expensive. So what you're seeing as you know, people have a little less money in their wallet, they're turning to these cheaper options. And, you know, legal cannabis and illegal cannabis, like, it's not very differentiated, right? Like a bag of weed is a bag of weed. Sure, legal companies have pesticide testing, and maybe they're making, you know, more innovative products in the legal market, like edibles and chocolates and things like that. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, if you're just looking to buy weed, it's not really that much different from, you know, the guy that you've been hitting up for the past 10 years or the dispensary down the street. And obviously, if you're paying a lot more money for the legal weed, you're going to go back to your, uh, your old buddy. Yeah, let's let's talk regulations. So you write that shifting state by state regulations make it hard for cannabis sellers to be successful, like in California. Sure. So in California, and, and I use California because it's a bit of an extreme example. But in California, to put it simply, a consumer will probably pay an extra tax of 40 to 50% over what they'd pay if they're just buying from an illicit market dealer. Wow. And so when you have that framework in place, you just are not capturing enough of the legal market. There's such a thriving black market or illicit market in California, where, you know, it really cuts into the tax revenue that the state is able to derive from that. Billions of dollars worth of capital has been pouring into weed companies in recent years. But you say that investors are now skittish. Why? Is it just the economy? Number one, it's the economy. Number two, it's that if you look at the kind of stock prices of these cannabis companies, they've suffered a lot. A lot of investors poured money in in the early days of legalization, 2015, 2016, and Canada in 2018. Some of those companies have lost over 90% of their share prices since then. Wow. And so obviously, when that's the case, if you have, you know, almost 100% of your investment wiped out, you're probably not going to reinvest in the industry. And you probably don't want to help these companies and investing is emotional. And so there's generally just a poor, pessimistic feeling about the industry right now, for sure. There's so much going on with regulation right now. So like, historically, is there any precedent for the moment the weed industry is in? I think the one historical precedent that people point to is the repeal of prohibition in the 1930s, right? It's kind of the one time in American history where you've had something that was illegal become legal, and then you've had all these companies race to make money on the back of that regulatory shift, which is what we're seeing in cannabis right now. I think it's a little bit different because prior to prohibition, alcohol was legal. All that being said, cannabis is really unique, right? It's a drug that's been illegal for so long. It's now just getting legalized, but it's slowly 
and surely, you know, sputtering towards legalization at the federal level. Like it just hasn't materialized as fast as some people thought. And so uh, these companies are in a really difficult position to navigate to all these changes. So, Jeremy, downturn aside, the future for legal weed seems, you know, pretty bright, at least for the biggest and often whitest companies? Yes. So will this disproportionately affect the smallest companies or the ones owned by people of color? It's a question that regulators are struggling with is how to get people who are most harmed by the war on drugs, mostly, you know, black, brown entrepreneurs, how to get them to play a huge role in the economic benefits that legalization can actually provide. And I think some of the difficult issues really just stem from federal illegalization, right? Because if you're an entrepreneur and let's say you are from a neighborhood where you don't have a wide network of wealthy people that you know to invest in your business, you do really need to get a loan from a bank. And banks right now don't really want to lend to the industry. And so it's extremely difficult for these entrepreneurs to get off the ground. Yeah. Jeremy. Thanks so much for chatting. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Jeremy Burke is Insider's resident cannabis reporter. Make sure to follow The Refresh from Insider on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also just tell your smart speaker to play The Refresh from Insider podcast. And please leave us a rating and review. It helps other people discover the show. I'm Rebecca Ibarra. And I'm Kay Moynihan. Talk to you soon. Hold up. 